it's the most thorough way that I personally know that I can heal someone. And the healing doesn't come from me. It comes from the process. Mm. It comes from the process of the sub giving themselves over to me fully and completely on all levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Created myself a little script to introduce this week's guest as her credentials speak for her. Mistress Damiana Chi, PhD, is a professional dominatrix with over 20 years of experience. She holds a PhD in clinical psychology and is a certified sexologist specializing in kink-centered coaching. She is the creator of the Conscious Kink Community, a social networking platform for like-minded individuals to share and connect about all things kink-related in a safe and respectful environment. She is the host of the Lightworkers Who Play in the Dark podcast, which provides a glimpse into the real world of BDSM, kink, and erotic domination, and the intricacies of the lives of the people who are in it. She is also the founder of the Evolutionary Dominatrix Academy, where Mistress Chi mentors women worldwide on the art of conscious female domination using her personally developed psychological methodology. This conversation, if those credentials didn't give you a little clue, is freaking juicy. We talk about a number of topics, including a lot of the myths and misnomers that exist in the media surrounding BDSM. And we really talk about what it really is, what BDSM really is, and how to create a conscious and consensual BDSM experience. And this is the one that really tickles me, is how BDSM can transmute pain into ecstasy, shame into acceptance, and fear into love. As somebody who has experienced an incredible amount of shame, pain, and hurt around my sexuality, I know that this podcast is going to be incredibly healing for a number of people, myself included. And my encouragement is when you listen to this, is to listen with an open mind and an open heart. Because maybe you're somebody who has experienced this pain, or maybe you've been somebody who passed judgment on the people who have had the desire to experience this type of play. And one of the things that was illuminated for me through this conversation is how we can create a space for healing, for love, for ecstasy, for understanding when we can set aside our judgments and our lacks of understanding for curiosity. And that's what this podcast, this conversation really offers. I invite you once more again, when you listen, listen with an open heart and listen with an open mind. I share vulnerably in a way that I never have before and I'll be very, very frank that my biggest concern with this podcast is the potential shame and ridicule I could experience as a byproduct of my honest and vulnerable expression. However, my commitment to us creating containers where we can express our sexuality uniquely and authentically in a way that is true for us becomes the precedence that we can heal our mental health, our inner turmoil and inner lack of stillness through being true to who we are and our sexuality is an area of our life that many of us, myself included, can experience more of that truth. I am absolutely certain with an open mind and open heart, you will take something away from this. This is by far one of my absolute favorite podcasts I've ever had the pleasure of recording. And I hope that you find your own sense of peace, truth, and love through this process as well. Enjoy. 
Mistress Damiana, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm I'm like wickedly pumped. This is going to be a lot of fun, but thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Beautiful. Well, let's start right away with what is your medicine? What are you here to serve? That's a great question and a really big question. And I'm just going to try to answer it um, piece by piece. Um, Beautiful. So I feel that my mission and my purpose is to bring awareness to whoever is interested, whether it be people who want to learn from me or just people in the general public who are who want to know what BDSM really is. And mm-hmm. what BDSM really is, it is the, the most authentic way that I know to... Um, it's the most thorough way that I personally know that I can heal someone. And the healing doesn't come from me. It comes from the process. Mm. It comes from the process of the sub giving themselves over to me fully and completely on all levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And those are the times that I've heard that uh, one can truly just be in the moment and just let go. You can't really even do that like during a massage, you know, you like your mind's still going, you're still kind of maybe like thinking about your schedule or what you have to do at work or whatever. But when a submissive is with me or a bottom is with me and we're playing and we're in the moment and we're in this other realm, um, of existence, and I truly believe it is a, like a parallel universe that we're jumping into. Right. We're both in the moment with each other, connecting on um, this level of trust, this very, very um, real level of trust. I mean, like, how much more trusting can you get than just? giving yourself, the submissive, giving themselves over to uh, the dominant and just saying, here I am, here's all of me, here are all my weak, you know, the things that make me weak and feel turned on and and mm-hmm. uh, these are things that I'm, I might feel judged about out there, but in here I know that I'm going to not only be accepted by you, but just but be embraced for it and and have the dominant engage with the sub with it so it's just like i said your question's really big and i i can keep answering it um if you want me to <laughs> but to get back down to get back to answering the question my medicine is to help people discover the true beauty and love that comes from this art form of BDSM. Hmm. It's just the best thing ever. You know, I, this is, this is why I've devoted my life to doing it, mm-hmm. teaching it, spreading the word. I'm 
I'm each year I get more passionate about it, you know, and I've been, yeah. I've been a professional dominatrix for 23 years now. This is going to be my 24th year. Um, wow. I've been a lifestyler for over 30 years. I, you know, I've been studying it psychologically for 35 years because I actually Good. started studying it in my master's program in psychology before I became mm-hmm. a matrix became intrigued by it, the uh, the whole psychology of it first. And psychology is a huge part of it, which is why I can't teach BDSM without psychology. Right. The understanding the fundamental elements that make up somebody's mind and body, their psyche and their soma. Because I imagine this is a sex you're in that space. This is where the this is where your sex drive is, but you know, in BDSM, it's in your mind. And so right. Dom doesn't understand your personal submissive psychology, uh, you, you're, you're going to have a hard time getting turned on or being submissive with that person or letting go. In your uh, your autobi- autobiographical podcast, you said BDSM is about 70% psychology because the mind not the genitals, is the main sexual organ in kinky play. Yeah. Yeah, 70 to 80. I, I push 80%. <laughs> right. And, yeah, and we all think of it as the, you know, when uh, the general public thinks about BDSM, they think the whips and chains and the leather outfits and things like that. It's all the physical stuff, right? But And that's that stuff is important. It's all what makes it look like BDSM. but Look the part. Look the part, yeah, but what, what, how you really play BDSM is in mm-hmm. mind. There, there are a number of, of questions that come up for me just in the initial question of what is your medicine, and I want to just kind of reflect back some of the things that I heard, which leads me to a couple of questions, and that is that you've obviously been in the space for multiple decades. You've, you've. You started as a, a mere air quote fledgling, like starting out your journey, figuring out maybe what your interests were, the things that really drove you, which I actually want to make some points about your story and kind of where you landed, where you're at. But at a core level, you found that this medium was a way for healing. It was a way for growth. It was a way for us to bring light to the aspects of our consciousness, specifically in the context of sexuality. But I would propose maybe even beyond sexuality into our everyday life where we get to fully recognize, acknowledge, and bring love to the aspects of our consciousness that perhaps we or somebody else in our life have damned, made wrong, shamed, guilted, thrown it inside of the box called taboo and said, this is not okay. This is, matter of fact, go so far to say that this is um, clinically a pathology or a disease or an illness and has people like myself perhaps people as well like who are doms and people that you've served who are subs or bottoms having them feel as though that there is something wrong with them and it feels like the medicine in a number of fronts is the remembrance that actually that's not true and the people who have been writing this narrative bless their hearts just they don't get it because they aren't in it and if they were in it perhaps they would see that this is a way to empower people because you are, in my outside perspective looking in, you're empowering, say, the submissives 
who have wanted to feel seen, heard, and loved in their unique expression. And on the other hand, this is like the the two part of what you shared when, when I was asking you um, like what your medicine was, was it's also a way to empower the women who want to develop the dominatrix within them to own that power. Exactly. Why is that so important to you? What you said about to empower the women. Well, like both the the submissives, but also the women. Why is that so important to you? Yeah, um, I want to speak to something you said earlier about the first about the, of course why why it's been so stigmatized. You know, it's so easy for people to judge things they're they're either afraid of or they're uneducated about. You know, and when it's those any of those two things, they'd rather damn it, judge it. Um, call it pathology than to dive into it and and give it a chance. So mm-hmm. that's happening. It's always happened with anything that people judge. Um, but yeah, it's first of all, so so I do I do run an academy called the Evolutionary Dominatrix Academy where I teach women how to the the true art form of female domination. And there is a true art form. Like there's a way to do it that's classical. Um, and mm-hmm. that is slowly dying because there's not enough mentors like me. So I always, whenever there's a, a mentor who's been around, who's been taught by other mentors back in the day, the true art form of femdom, I'm always in uh, uh, for promoting them and and re- um, referring people to them and things like that. We need more teachers to keep this art form alive. But anyway, it. It is very, very fulfilling for me to teach other women the art form and to help them develop the dominatrix within them because it is, first of all, such a healing um, process within ourselves as women to be able to say, you know what, this is, I'm going to own my power, but not only do that, I'm going to. I'm going to dominate. You know, you're not just being empowered. You're dominating. It's just like it's the next level. And so in my academy, we do these fun things called fishbowl domination um, demos where where a student will come up and dominate a submissive. And this is our playground pretty much. So she can just, she can do how we, the way I've taught, she can dominate the submissive um, in a way that she's, never that she never has before you know she can just bring it out and just act like you know a (laughs) uh, an empowered bitch i don't want to i'm not using the word (laughs) (laughs) say it own it yes (laughs) but you know being bitchy is uh there's something that feels really good about that when you know that the person Mm -hmm. on the other end wants it (laughs) right uh and you don't get to play that way in day to day. There's not a lot of places you can do that. So it's really, really fun. Uh, and so practicing that over and over <laughs> and, and feeling celebrated for it by all the Dom sisters and feeling um, so well received and appreciated for it by the submissive on that end, it just really does great things. You know, um, I know how healing it was for me as I went through year by year as professional dominatrix, practicing domination with submissives that really loved it, it was just like, wow, I'm, I grew up as, um, 
my my parents. I grew up in in Los Angeles, but in a very traditionally traditional Chinese way. So I was taught by my parents um, to just be quiet, basically. Like you're, you know, you're 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 seen, not heard. Um, the mm-hmm. parents are the authority. Um, this this sort of thing. And and quiet children are praised. Like in any in any I don't know about other Asian cultures. I think for for many. In many Asian cultures, quiet children are considered good children, you know. So I had to be quiet and just not speak my truth very much growing up. Mm-hmm. But I always had it in there. It was always those the, those thoughts that I was always questioning things, but just didn't couldn't say it anywhere, you know. So anyway, for me as a as a shy Asian child growing up, um, who couldn't speak speak out and um, own my power very much. It was very, very healing. I want mm-hmm. that healing for other women. I want, I mean, other, of course there's women out there who, I mean, you hear about it. They're not necessarily brought up in a traditional Chinese way, but just the, um, just female society in general are taught to be demure and to not if you're if you're loud or something like that, you're considered um I don't know, it's it's not attractive, it's not feminine or something like that. It's 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 right. looked down upon if you're too boisterous as a woman. Um, right. So it's very healing for for uh the feminine to be able to go through this practice and to do it. And I hear over and over and over by my students that they do bring this um, empowered. It's not just a feeling. It's it's a development of your dom self into the world. Like I can't not mm. be my dom self in the world because it's just it's in me. You know, I'm. It's in me just like as much as I am um, a mom now. I've been a mom for sixteen years now, and it's just who I am. I carry that in the in the world as who I am as a part of myself. So I, it's just, it's so fulfilling to see my students be able to do the same. Mm. And then the other part about the submissives, they feel empowered too. I have, I have a few sub coaches, I call them sub coaches in my academy uh, because I, I honor the truth of the submissive perspective a lot. That's a huge part of, of, of the value that I bring in the academy. It's huge mm-hmm. that this part you know the psychology of what what turns them on about all this they are also walking around um in their day-to-day life feeling empowered because of all that because they are um all the respect that they've gotten all the all the um acceptance that they've received over the years from playing with doms who accept them this way and of course, the community. You know, when you're in a community like this, who, who everybody accepts who you are and and um, what your kinks are, no matter what they are. They could be different from mine or whatever. But it's it's huge. Community is huge, right? In this, in the healing, right? Mm-hmm. This is beautiful, and I want to. Oh, that's good. It's good. It's part of my role here is to kind of like start to bring these pieces and like see how the puzzle pieces come together because you're dropping gold. And being able to create this conversation that, again, it's, it's being tucked under, it's being hidden, it's being done behind closed doors, hidden in the dark, and we're bringing it to the light. And what I love about what you're saying is that 
this is this is a, a double-sided empowerment. On one side, we get to empower women to not only take back their power, but to fucking dominate, to fully embellish in being that fire, that like solar chakra, like really taking back that power, which I I imagine not only from having spoken with women in my community, but the general outcry across the world of women saying no more no more will we be subjected to not allowing ourselves to be heard to be expressed to be seen and really this is an opportunity to to like to just own them just owning that bitchiness as you said just like owning it and loving it and knowing that when and done with intention that it can actually be used as a way to satisfy the desire of somebody else in fact allowing ourselves to unlock that bitchiness that fire whatever we want to call it as can actually liberate and create freedom for somebody who's in that submissive role who's like can you just throw that this way like i want to receive it like i want to feel it i want to be in it i want to be projected to it it can be done in a healing way and that's what i love about this container and i think for context it might be helpful to just have you give a couple of important definitions here because for someone like someone who's even earlier on in their journey than i am because i've been in like learning about this stuff for a little bit now there are people who are like how am I listening to this conversation? This is crazy. I'm not even familiar with what BDSM is. What is BDSM mean? What is a dominatrix? What is femdom? What is what is a submissive? What do these things mean, right? Because ambiguity and, and mystery in the brain, we have, you know, maybe preconceived images from TV shows we've watched or from what our parents told us or society told us. What is your definition of BDSM, uh, femdom, dominatrix, submissive? What do these things mean to you? Mm-hmm. Um, so I can speak for what it is. I mean, it's not just to me, but the okay. BDS is an acronym that stands for that the B is for bondage and the bondage, discipline, um, sadism and masochism. Those are the BD, the, 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 the BDSM initials, but then you take the, the, the two middle initials DS and that stands for dominance and submission. So it's kind mm -hmm. of like an acronym within an acronym. Love it. Cool. So that kind of covers the gambit of what it all is. And so, um, and then femdom is a shortened version of female domination. So mm -hmm. BDSM can have a male or female dominance. I'm in the femdom community where in my community, it's all female dominance because it's um it's not like oh you know i don't ever mingle with male i do have male dom friends who are very good friends of mine um but i don't really hang out in the male dom community because i don't it's not like i i, I fit in very well right i, I walk in there <laughs> all the, <laughs> the, the the women want to be submissives um so it's like it's 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 the, the gatherings or the meetings uh, or the play parties might might be not always sometimes it's you know like hey anyone who wants to come it's it's an it's an everyone kink party um right. like the bondage balls and everything you can be whatever um but then there's just there's just little distinctions within the big umbrella of bdsm yeah okay yeah, and beautiful so you know like the um can be non-binary too you know and 
and and just call yourself dominant and um and and whatever honorific you want to go by. Right. So typically, if someone is in say the dominant role and in this container in the context of femdom, the female is the lead. Then the submissive is the person who is submitting to the will of the dominant. Which exactly. the submissive can be man, woman, anything between and around. Correct. Any That's right. Any sex. Any sex. I. Um, I play with mostly male subs because that's who comes to me. But I have many. I've I've had many female subs come to me, and I and I love dominating female subs as just as well. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so we have um, um, a a tradition which is wonderful. I love this tradition. Uh, I've dominated mm-hmm. my students, my mentees, in sessions. Mm-hmm. Because that's something that I did when I first started out. I submitted to my mentor, a dominatrix, because I don't think that you can fully understand the mindset of the submissive unless you've stepped into those shoes and felt it. Mm. So it's a it's a huge it's a great learning experience, and you and you can you learn it not only um, you know cognitively, but you're 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 learning all your body's learning what it feels like to be a submissive, right? So right. I, I teach this in my in-person workshops where I'll have all of my students dominate each other, my female students, and mm-hmm. it's wonderful. It's like um, one of them said, wow, I I was just craving her next touch. Like her, net, my, her meaning the dominant, the dominatrix, she's like, when she touched me with just one finger, it was like electricity. And she didn't know, she had been a dom before, but she didn't know that or understand that until she stepped into the shoes of the submissive. And now mm-hmm. she understands that when she's the dom, she has so much power in her little pinky, you know. She can just touch the submissive with one little pinky and just know that that is going to be a huge, create a huge p- impact on them. Right, because the space that you are creating is, I imagine, eliciting a level of safety and trust where we can fully drop into our experience such that even the tiniest of the tiniest of sensations, air quote, can have, you know, electrical impulses that shoot through our body because we are energetic beings at a fundamental level. We are energetic beings. We have energy that cycles in and around our bodies all the time. It's when we get disconnected and disassociated from that when it maybe doesn't feel that way. But when we can drop in, those sensations expand. They become hyper-focused in the cognitive processes of our brain and thusly our body. We, we focus in and hone in on them more. And that seems to be what one of the benefits of being dropped into this space yeah, it's sacred. It feels like a spiritual experience, um, not only for the submissive, but for the dom too as well. I It's like, you know, when I don't play, when there's, there's lots of, like I didn't play for a couple of weeks because um, of holiday break. You know, I was on break with my kids and everything through Christmas and New Year's just um, a little while ago. Mm-hmm. I um, hadn't been in the space for a while and it was, um, I felt like my dom cup hadn't been filled <laughs> for a while. <laughs> like, 
started playing, actually, this is my first week back. Yeah, this is my first week back playing as a dom. I'm just like, oof, 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 you know, like my mm-hmm. my dom, I call my dom mojo has been like firing up again and um, and filling up my dom cup. Um, it's such an important part of of who I am personally. And as like as a woman, I feel so fortunate to have this element of my life because, you know, if if I didn't, if I was just a mom, or if I was just um, like I like I I was trained to be a psychotherapist, you know, like sitting in sitting in um, a cons- consultation room with my client, not being able to touch them or anything, I mm-hmm. I feel like I wouldn't have been. Um, as fully who I was meant to be as I am because I've been able to exercise this part of myself for so many years. Like I know what makes me uh, fully, fully woman. Mm. It's just a huge part of it. I'm so lucky. And I want other women to be just as lucky. <laughs> I I want I want to highlight right here what you're talking about with how this is really, <laughs> this is so great, about unlocking like your full womanhood. And something that I find very fascinating is your story from, as you said, being in like a Chinese Filipino household growing up and being essentially encouraged to withhold your voice. And eventually as you got older, you became this like rebellious high schooler listening to punk music and you naturally started finding that men appreciated your almost like standoffish type of energy and you like almost like used it against them like oh well then I can I can start to use this to my advantage like there's an interest there and I I like playing this like power role that later and enveloped into I'm really fascinated by psychology you went and got a PhD in clinical psychology but the thing that really stuck out for me was I think you said in your master's program was when you did a thesis or you did some work regarding sexual masochism and it being diagnosed as a mental disorder. And you came back with this new awareness with maybe not new awareness, but like a deepened awareness around how there is an incredible amount of stigma misunderstanding around this. And from my vantage point, as somebody who has heard some of these terms of like, oh, like, for example, like my submissive desires being labeled as something is wrong or this isn't what it, you know, I'm not a real man because of that or the women who actually do want to be dominant, they just have something psychologically wrong with them. There was something that happened as a child because their dad did something to them and now they have a messed up daddy issue in their head or the, the, the guy who's submissive was had sexual abuse and now for that reason it's a pathology and we're just seeking unconscious and subconscious ways to, to play out these things that weren't met as children and I feel like that narrative has dictated my own and I imagine many other people's comfortability with sexually expressing. And I'm curious from your vantage point from one decade's worth of experience in the BDSM community, being a sexologist and also literally being a PhD clinical psychologist and understanding the mind and the body in a way that the majority of humans don't are are we broken or is there something wrong with us? What there is, there is a a general sense that that is the case. And we're just trying to play out these fantasies of something that was messed up from our early formative years. But where does your professional standpoint come from that? 
from both BDSM, but also from clinical psychology? You know, um, I feel that my own experience and my own inner knowledge about this question. So clinical psychology right now, as far as I can tell, is not as up to date on the topic of kink as I am or others who have um, been been living this world for for you know decades. Decades. Mm-hmm. One of my goals, you know, if I, get, if I get a minute one of these days <laughs> to incorporate this into my life, is to go out and educate clinical psychologists about what kink really is. It is not a pathology. Mm-hmm. You're not fucked up. Um, the the thing that I dislike the most about the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. Many of us in the BDSM community don't like that movie because it wasn't written by somebody who was actually in the lifestyle, but it was from from a, a, an author who wrote about it for her fantasies. Anyway, the, in the movie, I don't know if this was in the book, but in the movie, the the dom- the dominant is a male, right? And then um, his submissive is female, and she asks him at one point in the movie, uh, "Why do you like this?" And he said because I'm 50 shades of fucked up. And that right there, I was like, that is going to ruin, I mean, it's already stigmatized, you know, BDSM, but that's just gonna stigmatize it even more and Mm -hmm. make the public think that, oh, you have to be fucked up to be into this. It's absolutely crap. It's not true. Um, You are kinky because you're beautiful. You're kinky because it's natural. I call it kink sexuality. I've kind of coined this term kink sexuality as another um, like sexual orientation, just like homosexuality, heterosexuality. It's a, it's a true blue sexual orientation. Kink sexuality is. I mm. believe that you're kinky because you're wired this way. You came out this way your desires or whatever, you know, you're just kind of wired this way. And then whenever you discovered them, like, um, you know, you can discover that that you have desires, kinky desires, uh, or you're turned on by things that are kinky in uh, childhood, adolescence. Um, sometimes you might not even discover, I mean, you know, usually you get, you get it by then. You can, you, you know, you have an inkling that you're kinky by then. But, right. um, but many people don't explore it or step into exploring it until they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, I had somebody come in to see me in his 60s. He's a beautiful, one of my favorite slaves. I love him dearly. He's in his 70s now. And he didn't start to have sessions with any, I was, I'm his one and only dog. He didn't start to have sessions until he was in his mid-60s. And that's because of all the stigma. You know, he thought he was, he did what he was supposed to do. He's, he's successful professionally, um, personally, you know, married with kids, grandkids and all that. He did all that. And then he finally said in his sixties, okay, now it's time for me. I'm going to do this. I've been desiring this since I was, I was young. I'm going to go do this. I'm getting off on a tangent, but my point is it's real. Kink sexuality is a thing. It's, it's how you are. It's, you know, in my opinion, Everybody has a level of kink sexuality. Um, it could be very, very minor. Like, you know, you can have fantasies about uh, just being pushed onto the bed 
or something like that. And that's mm-hmm. domination, right? I don't see vanilla sex being possible with any with without DS dominance and submission. There has to be some element of dominance and submission in in even vanilla sex, you know. So I feel like everybody's kinky, but <laughs> but it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. right. You know, like right. you know, be all the way at the one end of the spectrum is vanilla, which is you know that's like. I don't know. You define vanilla sex as normal sex, no, normal sexuality. You like missionary style intercourse, okay? And then on the right. other end of the spectrum is kinky, and you don't get turned on unless it's kinky stuff being done to you. So you can fall anywhere along that spectrum. You know, you can be right in the middle. It can be like, I love kinky stuff. I also love vanilla sex. It's all, you know. So. Anyway, I hope that answers the question somewhat. It does, and it it prompts another one. So I love this idea that sex isn't necessarily so black and white. You either do missionary and vanilla, and you're pathologically fine. There's nothing wrong with you. If you fall outside of this DSM, whatever the hell, then you are broken, busted, playing out traumas, etc. In fact, it, it occurs on a spectrum, as I believe all of life does. It tends to fall in a spectrum of more towards, as you're saying, the more vanilla versus the the further side down of BDSM. And there's not necessarily a right or wrong. There's more, it's, it's more like what's right or wrong for you, for me? What is the most authentic expression? Where do I fall on the spectrum and how do I honor that consistently? Because when I do, that's likely where I find my, as I like, I've been saying my full fuck, like the thing that lights me up, that has me feel me feel at home and and know that my deepest deepest and darkest air quote deepest and darkest desires or even my lightest desires are being nourished because i'm expressing that my question inside of this spectrum then is whether i am incredibly vanilla or incredibly kinky or somewhere in between do we do we draw any lines where we say that Maybe our kinkier expressions are coming as a product of some trauma that is left unresolved. Is there something that where we look and we do draw a line and say, you know what, like we're actually re-encouraging a trauma through this particular expression. Where is there a line? How do we draw that line between like healthy expressions of BDSM and maybe unhealthy re-traumatizing expressions, if if that makes sense? Yeah. Yes, I, um, I have an answer for that. So, um, so I have been trained in something called psychodrama it's a form mm-hmm. of um he is a psychological healing technique psychodrama so mm-hmm. let me just explain this part first and then i'll go into why it, it, it's a bdsm is a form of psychodrama actually so okay. in psychodrama the way i was taught the way i was trained how to do it in graduate school in psychology is um that therapist and client right the, the client is coming to the therapist saying, you know, I have a terrible relationship with my mother and there's just one conversation that I had with her that just just traumatizes me because I keep hearing her in my head telling me how worthless I am. Just an example I'm making up. So in the psychodrama scene, the therapist plays the mother, the client plays herself as whatever age she was when the incident happened. And then they have this conversation um, and then 
the therapist, instead of saying, as the mother, is as playing her mother, instead of saying you're worthless, she says, you know, I think um, I need to apologize to you. I, I, I didn't truly give you, uh, I didn't, I haven't truly given um, my full attention to who you really are. And I, I want to say I'm sorry. And I accept mm -hmm. you for who you are. And just healing words like that really do something healing in the psyche. Like it does change something in the psyche, right? And this is an exercise you can do on your own too. Like there's there's like inner child uh, techniques that you can do this same type of thing. It's like a psychodrama within your own, by yourself. You can do empty chair where you jump into one chair and you're, you play your mother. Anyway, it's it's a common technique. So in, in psycho, uh, in BDSM, let's say for example, and I've known women like this. Um, I've known, I've known women in, you know, when I, when I was in the lifestyle, um, just hanging out with people in the kinky community. So there were a couple of women who, um, had been raped, you know, traumatic experience in their life. And they wanted to play out rape fantasies with their dom. Okay. Um, and so in your question, you're like, does this re-traumatize, right? So my answer is if they are playing this fantasy out with a dom who is um, very accepting, very nurturing, and has the ability to um, hold the safe space in the container to play the scene out to her fullest fantasy, I mean, completely like do what she wants. She wants to be pushed around. She wants to be raped, all of that stuff. And then end it with, um, you know, like maybe just after the scene's over, right after the scene's over, there's something called aftercare. And then in mm -hmm. the aftercare, hold her, love her, and just let her cry in your arms and just say, that was so hot, baby. That was so hot. And I'm so honored to have been able to fulfill that fantasy for you. In that type of scene, that's BDSM psychodrama scene, it's healing because you're in this in the in the same way that the in the psych psychology world, you're uh, replacing this you're replacing the traumatic incident with uh, something healing in the end. They the aftercare part of it is um is doing the same thing, right? It's doing the same thing. And so, and also the fact that she asked for the scene, like in BDSM scenes, the scene is um, orchestrated around the submissive's fantasies. So really and truly, it's the submissive at the bottom level of is is at the bottom um, line in control. You know, the bottom line is the submissive can call red or the safe word, whatever, if you want the scene to stop, it, and it has to. So, because it's consent, it's consensual play. So the fact that she, in my example, this woman who says, you know, I have a rape fantasy, I want you to play it out with me. She's already in control of it. And she's like, mm -hmm. I want this, I want you to do it this way and this way and this way. And then he does it for her and it's hot for her and everything. And then um, ends it in a healing, healing contained way. It's healing to the, to the psyche. So. Uh, I think there's a little bit of, of your question that said, 
did like you know like maybe i think some people wonder too like did the rape incident make her kinky you know yeah i mean <laughs> there's some there's some things in our experience in our that that are going to trigger things right um i've heard you know like a one of my slaves said that he the earliest memory he has of um having a foot fetish is when his aunt stepped on his hand when he was three with her high heel uh, heel <laughs> high heel pump right and he's like mm -hmm. oh that's how it started right that's how he thinks it started but no really i mean it could have triggered something that was already in you it could have we don't really know there's uh, you know we can speculate about these things of how things started nature versus nurture it's probably both it's it's both for everything um, mm. but my true belief is that it's more it's more nature you're more i you know it's more nature for some people it's maybe it's more nurture for other people it's again everything's on a spectrum right i love this conversation so much because both for myself and i imagine for the other person who is listening to this who either is kinky and is open about it or is kinky curious or didn't even know this conversation existed or maybe they're dating somebody who is in one of those spectrums it helps so much with a little bit of letting go because when you live like i have with the belief that you have this expression for example be a foot fetish you have this expression and you've heard the story that it's wrong, that it's bad, that it's a pathology or whatever, then you feel wrong. There's something wrong with me. So then what do we do? At least what do I do? Well, let me go and figure out where it came from. Because if I understand where it came from, then everything is solved now. I could say, oh, well, it all comes back to this. Well, maybe I should change. Maybe I try to be different. Maybe I can neurobiologically restructure and rewire my brain neuroplastic neuroplastically in a way that that's no longer a thing. But it sounds like <laughs> we can't do it, people. Nope. It's like sorry. <laughs> it's it sounds like you're you're saying like it's really is it's it's imprinted. It's in the fabric of our structure. And instead of needing to know exactly where it came from and how it expresses, why don't we just create containers where it can be safely expressed? But what I really love and want to highlight is the importance of aftercare and how it's not just enough to go and have this powerful experience. We have to take the time much like food, when we eat it, to digest it, to bring it back. I love you. Like, hey, it's okay. I love you. You're doing, this was so great. Oh, that was so sexy. Like, it's the affirmation maybe that was needed that wasn't present when something did arise, whether it was in the past or even in the moment, that nurturing back to center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is why I feel that it's very, um, you know, important or valuable for someone who is submissive to explore their fantasies at least once with a skilled dominatrix who can, uh, because it's, I've seen this over and over where submissives um, play, play with doms who are maybe they're just kind of uh they're not really that skilled they don't know about the whole 
there's a proper way to do it, you know, which includes aftercare. And aftercare is a part of every every scene. Every scene it has to be. Um, I've seen some misses go through years of that where they're just kind of like, you know what, I'm just. And then they and then they they have traumatizing experiences. That could tra actually going through a um, quote unquote bad experience with a dom who isn't that skilled can traumatize because can you imagine going to see a dom and she's like, yeah, yeah, lick my feet and get out, your hour's over or whatever. Just, it, I mean, that I've seen this over and over and it's, it makes me so sad. Subs have come to me saying, you know, I've, I've had these desires, but I had a bad experience and I so didn't want to try it for 10 years after that, you know? Shit. So it's, it's sad. Um, that's why I feel that important uh, training doms is very, very important. It's gotta be, um, it's, there's nothing wrong with playing with your partner and stuff. You know, that's great too, exploring with your partner, but that partner has to educate herself or himself about all of these important elements. Um, and, um, which brings me to want to ask you, like, is there anything that, I mean, it, I know that all the questions are coming to me, but part of our plan for this conversation was for, for me to also ask you questions too, because mm -hmm. I've wanted to, um, ask people out in the public how they feel about things. Mm -hmm. You know, like, can I turn this around? Can I turn this around now? Um, and ask you, are you? We're flowing. Wherever this is going is where we're going. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about like, so you came and found me. And usually mm -hmm. when people find me um, to want to, you know, interview me or whatever, they they usually have personal interests in kink. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about, if you're willing to share, a little bit about you and your interests. Sure. Well, first, I want to preface this by knowing that this is a conversation that is going to be out in the public and that it brings up an incredible amount of nervousness for me. And I preface that because I know that there are people who are listening who know me personally. Some of them might be family members. Some of them are friends. And some of them are people who have come to know me across social media and as somebody who has spent the most of their life the, like a good majority of their life, and I say this very earnestly, believing that they were unlovable to the detriment of like truly hating myself for my desires, the things that I was curious about, for the the sexual fantasies that I played out, they just really truly believing I was unlovable and unworthy forever. No one could ever love me. It's a, I know that this conversation is important. It terrifies me. I know that my biggest concern has less to do with the the friends or the people who don't know me as well, it's more like family. If family heard it, what would they think? And what my intention and my hope is, is that in my sharing that, you know, I don't think that everyone needs to come out publicly and talk about these things. I think that for me, I've found most healing in talking and sharing about things, which is why this podcast began in the first place, was to talk about the shit that most of us are afraid to talk about, to speak to, because of the ridicule or the condemnation that could come about from it. So... All of that prefacing to say, I, I, I had this conversation with the, with the fear in the back of my throat, and I know that this conversation needs to happen, and 
I'm grateful that it's happening. And to answer your question. Well, first of all, I, I am so honored to have your openness and in your sharing because I, I, you, a lot of people look up to you. Um, and that's why I feel like this conversation is very important. A lot of, you have a lot of listeners, um, not only your listeners, but just you represent so many people out there in the world who feel very similarly to how you feel. So I honor you and you are welcome to share as little or as much as you like, what, whatever, you, whatever it is you want to share, I, it will help people. So don't feel pressured. Right. Yeah. And to all the people who ever felt unworthy or unlovable, this one's for you. I'm with you. Uh, my, so you asked, the question you asked was talk to you a little bit about some of like my desires or my interests. Is that right? Yes, because, you know, I've, I've wanted to talk to someone like you for a really long time on my own podcast. Because mm-hmm. I know, I, I know that a lot of people who are listening to my podcast are, they're, they're, they're kinky, but they've never told right. anyone or they feel shame right. about it or feel love, but, or they feel like there's something wrong with them and all of this stuff. Um, but, oh my God, like. You are so lovable. You, I just, I want to, I want to tell everybody out there that you are more brave than all those people out there who are denying their own desires to their own self. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like you. The fact that you are being honest with yourself about your sexual desires—that's huge. That's the first step. Um, next step is is loving yourself even though, and it's not even an, even though it's like as, as well, like in, in embracing it. Right. It's just, it's awesome. It's beautiful. Um, but go ahead, Wolf, you take the stage. Right. Well, I'll start with just some, with some little things and let you kind of ask questions that'll take me deeper. Cause I find that the most authentic expression comes through the questions, but at a very fundamental level, I, as a, all the, what are the terms? It's like cis heterosexual male and somebody who derives great pleasure from being submissive, particularly to a woman and have known, got present to this uh, a few years back when I had dated somebody at the time who was very dominant and put me in a position to ask me like, hey, would you consider leaning into this more submissive role? And I was at first like, Ugh, I don't know about that because there was this like male male bravado who I'm supposed to be and I'm supposed to be the leader and I'm supposed to be the one leading. Otherwise, I'm not a true man. And inside of that concern, I, I relinquished some aspect of, of that power and surrendered to that and recognized, wow, I I didn't just enjoy that. I needed that. And I'm now finding that the more I am curious about those submissive desires and the more that I start to bring harmony to the thoughts, the dialogue, the chatter in my school that was likely handed to me from context outside of myself, whether it was family or society or religion, that I do enjoy these things and 
In fact, because I spend so much of my life being air quote, I don't like to say this because it just feels like you know boisterous, but being in a position of leadership, being in a position where I'm supporting people, holding space, loving, I just love so big and so fucking hard to so many people. I am, I am my mission, my personal mission is permission to be the, the radical permission slip for others to be their most authentic and loving self. And I have struggled with giving that to myself. And this expression through sexuality, I realized that because I hold so much space for others that typically when it comes time to these types of experiences, this feels like the one time where I can truly let go, where I can fully surrender. And there's nothing I need to be or there's no one I need to be. And that is, I would say, one of the reasons that prompted my reaching out to you is because I saw for one of the first times someone who was doing BDSM kink with, if I boil it down to one word, it's with intention. Because I have initially, when I discovered the space, there was all these different websites of people who like offered dumb services. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, I just need to find a way to to scratch this itch. I'm so, I'm so itchy. Like I need to find a way to, to scratch this itch. And all you find primarily is like people who either scams, they just want your money or women who are fandoms, financial domination, like all, all the different ways to just come in. Let me, let me dom air quote dominate you and take your money and boom, go on your way. And it left me feeling a place like, well, I don't know where the hell to turn. I, I don't feel Safe enough to bring it up with my partners because they're, you know, person I'm dating because I'm just like, oh, like, what will they think? So then I'm left to essentially like pornography as a means to, to like cope with the not knowing how to, to meet that, that desire. So uh, I would say that this is the reason why I reached out is because I believe that this was a conversation that needed to be occurring more frequently where we see that our unique expressions of sexuality are not just pathologies, are not just something to be dismissed or put inside of a box, but that they can create conversations that lead to ecstatic bliss, to growth and expansion. That when I feel liberated in my sexuality, I go and be a better business owner or a father or a mother or a daughter or a son or everything. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um, that This is what I see over and over and over. I have submissives who are uh, high-level businessmen, you know, CEOs of large, large companies, and they need this to balance out. It's very healthy for the psyche to balance out like this because, like you said, and I teach this in my, I have a course uh, um, that I teach submissives called Be Your Best Submissive Self, which, uh, w which I talk about how males in our society, they are, you're expected to be in control in every aspect of your life. Every right. aspect, right? And so when do you ever get to just be and um, be told what to do? So the, and the reason why it makes so much sense as <clears throat> we want serve a dominatrix is because, you know, in your blissful, carefree days when you were a young boy, you were being told what to do by your mother. You're being told what to do by your teachers. Most of your teachers in elementary school, maybe high school were female, you know. And then maybe you had... um. Uh, um, like like uh, celebrities, celebrity crushes, you know, when you're young, when you're a young, young boy, and they were female. They could have even been leather-clad, like Catwoman and powerful figures like that, right? This is all in your young, um, in, 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 the, in the years where you're 
developing your sexuality. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense that you want to go back to that comfy place of just being told what to do by a strong woman. It just makes sense. Um, it's it feels like home. It it just does. It just you know being at the feet of a dominant woman just feels like home. So, but to speak to what you just said, people in your age group, I, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because I have so much sympathy for all of you who are trying to find um, good domination, good female domination in this world. It's almost impossible because you get bombarded by thin doms, as you, as you just said, financial doms. That's not real domination. Um, I should have described my the academy that I teach. I call it uh, conscious female domination, mm-hmm. and you called it intentional. Same thing, you know. There's there's a few doms out there, and you have to find them who are doing this consciously for your own betterment. You know, out of love, not selfish, whatever uh, purposes they have. You know, not not all that. So it's a shame. It's really hard to find, but find them. No matter what, just find them. You found me. I'm one. I'm a conscious dom. <laughs> there mm-hmm. are others out there. Find them and just connect. Even if you just have a conversation with one, to just find out what real BDSM is because it's going to do exactly what you said. It's going to make you a better everything. It's going to make mm-hmm. you successful in all the other areas of your life because... You're being balanced out. You know, you can't just be like this dom there's too much dominant energy that you're be that you're running. You can't it's not you can't run on that forever. It's gonna burn you're gonna burn out. Um so anyway, it's it's just lovely that you're sharing this. It's absolutely beautiful. If you play with people, make sure that even if they're not like into it themselves, make sure they just love you for it. Make sure that there's at least acceptance and curiosity on their part about it. You know? Right. Um, and if if there are people that you're playing with who um, are not that knowledgeable and they're at least curious and accepting, tell them, hey, no pressure. Like, you don't have to. This isn't like you don't you don't have to act the part like just be yourself and just be curious and just be your queenly self sitting there and and just enjoy my submission that's like really it just enjoy my submission enjoy my worship you don't have to do anything just accept accept and and, and just receive that's my advice for um anyone who's you know, dabbling with someone who isn't a full-blown dominatrix, but they're at least wanting to um, hold the container for you. Right. So whether it's, it doesn't need to be created as a dynamic that adds pressure, but really an invitation, whether it's, you know, I, what I imagine is that although we're talking in the com- context of a dominatrix, this can really expand to any conversation where one person is wanting to relinquish power and another person either does or hasn't yet learned that they can actually take power. We're focusing on femdom, but it feels like there's a larger conversation here called we can 
create safe containers to express these desires to ask for what we need without there having to be the pressure, especially if one or both parties or multiple parties are wanting to explore but maybe nervous because for some it's like for me it's like i'm nervous to express it and then maybe for the person who i'll say in the context of like my relationship where maybe the person who i'm dating doesn't have that comfort of being dom in, in a dominant position they're mostly comfortable with the other side then it's like finding ways to communicate okay like here's something i think the hard part sometimes is wanting to communicate it but not wanting to communicate it, the desire in a way that is that builds pressure and not that you intend to but sometimes it can maybe feel like for the person who's hearing that person's desire like oh i need to meet this or i'm not doing a good job type energy if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah it does um so i had in my femdom academy i teach um, a methodology of domination where i break up the dominatrix into four archetypes within the dom the dominant self and they are the authoritarian the seductress the mother and the queen archetypes these are four archetypes um and so the easiest archetype for someone like that to step into who let's say your partner maybe she's she feels more um like her own sexual desires or she wants to be more submissive than dominant I think all women have a queen in them, you know, so if, if you can, um, touch, touch base with that, connect with that queen archetype within you, which is a very receiving, um, like the direction, uh, is, is more of a receiving than giving the dominance, you know? If you just kind of receive the submission and the worship coming from the submissive and just be like, wow, they love and adore me. They worship me. Like, and I feel so filled up by that. Like it's, it makes me feel really good. That's, mm -hmm. that's being a dominatrix. That is. So a dominatrix isn't just one thing. It's not what you see in the movies where, um, in the movies you see the authoritarian, basically it's the one that's, um, you know, kind of like shouting out the orders, telling you what to do and being bossy and things like that. That's the more active part of the dominatrix, but the Receiving part is also very dominant for me to just be like, I take in what you give me, you know, I receive it and I appreciate it, all your gifts. Because the, the submission is a gift. Your, your submission is like, it's going out to her, it's going to the dominant. So for her to just receive your submission as a gift is huge. It's huge. Hmm. Would you give a, a brief description of each of the four? Uh-huh. Yeah, the four. So these are my, this is, this is, these are, this is my methodology. I came up with, because I was, um, I studied archetypal psychology in graduate school. So mm -hmm. archetypal psychology is a huge, is, is, is part of my educational background and I loved it. And so I took, um, I, I took the dominatrix and broke it down into four archetypes the authoritarian mm -hmm. archetype and and each dominatrix each i should say each dominatrix who is fully developed has these four archetypes um the the author the authoritarian 
is the one that's in control. She's the boss. See, she gives you commands and orders. She sets the tone of the of the scene. When you step into a scene with the dominatrix, you want to see her uh, authoritarian uh, archetype come out because you want to immediately be told what to do because you don't know what to do. You're a sub. So you want her to be like, these are the rules. This is what you do. This is how I want you to be. That's the authoritarian. And that's the mental aspect. Um, the seductress archetype is, that's the sadist. She's the one that um, takes enjoyment from your suffering. You know, whatever the suffering is, it could be physical suffering. It could be mental suffering. It could be, it could be humiliation. It could be putting, you know, putting you down um, in a predicament. But whatever that is, she receives pleasure from your pain and suffering, you know. So that's the seductress. Uh, the seductress is the erotic energy. So that's mm. the, that's the sensual, sexual part of the interplay between the dom and the sub. Because if you don't feel your dom's enjoyment, then um, it's not that hot. <laughs> you might she's all authoritarian but no seductress but the best best case scenario is to have her be bossy and sexy and you know like want to derive enjoyment from your pain right mm -hmm. um, like i said pain is, is is on all levels it doesn't have to be just physical and then there's a mother archetype who's very important because she is the one that um she's the emotional connection she sets the container of safety if you don't feel safe with your dominatrix, you can't let go. It's impossible to let go if you don't feel safe in her um, in her container that she's built. So she has to be there the whole time. Well, she's going to be there in the beginning when she when you you guys talk about the scene. There's always a pre scene talk before you start the scene. She's going to be there. She's going to tell you. She's going to you know let you know that she understands everything about your fantasies what it is that you want, what your submissive desires are, she's there. She's there throughout. She might not be there overtly throughout the scene, but she can be there momentarily throughout the scene. You feel mm. glimpses of her. You'll know she's safe. You'll know you're no you know that she's keeping you safe. And then the queen archetype. The queen archetype is the spiritual connection. And um she's the one that makes you feel like you're in awe of her. A submissive has a need to feel in awe of the dominatrix. He has to, he, there's a need for the submissive to worship her and just to be like, you know what? I just, to worship a powerful woman. I feel like that's very innate desire in, in men. I mean, all men, uh, in all men, I think that there's the innate desire to worship the female um, presence, her her physical beauty, her inner beauty, all of that. I mean, like, my God, women are beautiful. So mm -hmm. to have permission to just pour that adoration out and just express it is just so liberating for the submissive, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so the queen archetype is, is part of the dominatrix that allows for that to happen. And this is the archetype that as doms we bring out to the world this is the this is what the world sees this is the part that the world sees of my dom self is the queen archetype 
you're not necessarily going to see, you know, the authoritarian and the seductress and stuff. But the queen is always there. The queen is always there. So I, I developed these archetypes because as I, as I went through my years of dominating, I figured out, you know what, there's these still different elements coming out in me, you know? And, and so I, as a psychological thinker, I put them into categories. And these are, these mm. were the categories. This, these are the categories of, these are the archetypes within a fully developed dominatrix. So, um, like in my, with my students who are just starting out, they might have like one or maybe two archetypes that are, are developed, maybe not fully, but they're, they're she's, at, she's at least in touch with you know, one or two of these. And then by the end of the course, they will have developed all of them. Right. And the ability to to move between the various energies, which you've said, we need all of them. We need to be able to feel safe. We need to be able to embody that ability to, to either be worshipped or to have that energy worshipped in like the queen archetype. You said that it was the mother archetype. Was that the one that wants to feel safe or brings about the feeling of safety? Yes. The mother archetype provides Yes. Okay. Yeah. And something I personally believe is, I was going to say is that the degree to which we feel safe is typically the degree to which we will express. And if, if I don't feel that motherly safe energy, then it's not likely that I'm going to feel comfortable enough to lean into some of the other archetypes because my nervous exactly. system doesn't feel good here. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm talking about these things with you because, um, you know, subs who are kind of new in this world might not know that you want to look for these things in the dom that you mm -hmm. want to explore with um so i think that it's important or valuable to at least have one experience with an experienced dominatrix or at least one conversation like this you know, we're having a conversation so that you at least kind of know like, wow, this is, this is what it's all about. Okay. This is what's, this is what it's, this is what's out there, you know? Um, so yeah. Um, so another thing that's, that's, that's important for, for newbies like you is community, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and finding community with, with like-minded, you know, either their subs or their doms, both or whatever, um, people who want to explore this as well. Um, that's very healing. It's hard to do this in a vacuum. It's hard to do this with just yourself. And like you said, all you have is the internet and porn and fin doms. It's really, it's really hard. Right. It's almost impossible to, to do. So, so find that community, you know, um, and I, I've, built a, an online community for conscious kinksters called consciouskinkcommunity.com for people like you, like others who are seeking this, you know, who are wanting community with others um, in a safe container. It's, it's, it's very, it's, it's like you can't find that community in like it's hard. It's far. It's it's hard to go to like Facebook and find Facebook groups and and know, okay, like well, who's hey who's heading this and 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 who are all the people coming in? It's hard to know. Um, so I, I, myself, 
vet every single person who applies to the Conscious King community. So I've curated this community um, so that the people there are very like-minded, very, a lot of them are very thoughtful, conscious, intelligent, um, people who are seeking growth, you know. So just putting it out there for for anyone who who's looking for a kink community that they can trust. Right. Being able to join a community and explore these interests with within a space where you like like you said, you personally vet because that's one of the things where in these communities there typically isn't a a criteria for whether or not somebody can join, which is why there is so many people who are just looking to make a dollar or to scam you or to do what sounds like the opposite of the intention of this type of space container or work is, which yeah. it's designed to create healing. It's designed to bring us closer to ourselves and to the people we're sharing it with, but it can work disadvantageously if the space that we're doing it in isn't safe, isn't done with intention. And to your earlier point, when you had mentioned you had a, a sub whom came to you and said, wow, like, Pretty much this is what I was looking for, but my first experience it hit me so bad. I was like, eh, I'm going to wait years before I allow myself to dip my toe in. I think that that's probably one of the most. Yeah. It's one of the most important things is to be able to I think, I think it... try that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me so sad to know that um, there's people out there who probably, you know, had a bad experience or they don't or they're, or they're not listening to conversations like this. Who they don't they don't know and they might not ever try it again it makes me very sad because there's so much beauty in that kinky person that's like i just want to i want to love them up you know i want and i know that there's others who want to love them up too and just say you know what? i love that about you i love that you're kinky i'm um i'm gonna i want to play with you you know really? right and the, it does help the what you're bringing forward with one, it's the safe space. It's two, having the arch- archetypes. Three, it's being able to to test with an open mind because what I imagine is there are, you know, a, a bajillion doms and then there's a very small few that are actually good, intentional, conscious doms. And then even within there, there's an opportunity to go and experience, figure out what of those are going to be the best for you. But if somebody's not even ready to go there, which I imagine that the, the average person who's listening to this conversation is either freaked out by like, what am I listening to? Or even like, okay, this is something I'd be open to, but I'm not really quite there. It can be a little intimidating to want to lean into something that maybe has been you know, repressed either consciously or subconsciously. And I'm curious about what would be some of, in your mind, some of the the ways to start ushering in this play. I know we started to talk about it. Like one, like, you know, we can check out, for example, your community. We can perhaps start the gentle conversation with our partners. But what would be a way to have this experience? It's like level one, right? Beginner, 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 someone who's really nervous. Where is level one at? What's that first, what do those first steps look like? Yeah. Um, So you mentioned, you know, those things. The, the gentle conversation with your partner or not, you know, because sometimes the partner, if they have a, many of my subs, um, have a partner that aren't open-minded. They know, they know without a doubt that that person is going to judge them or has judged them for their desires, kinky desires. 
of course they're not going to feel safe uh, talking about it, opening up to their partner about it. I, I see many subs. I've seen many subs over the years who are married. And uh, people ask, well, what about, isn't that unethical? You know, uh, isn't it unethical that they're lying to their partner? Isn't it unethical that you're playing with this person and their wife doesn't know or something like that? In my opinion, it is, it is more of a shame to keep those desires bottled up forever that lid just never, you know, that, that those desires never get to be explored um, or to tell their partner about it and have them be shamed for it, which don't ever tell anybody who's not open-minded, who you know isn't going to accept this about you. So that's another thing. Like, don't don't really tell your best friends if you don't think they're open-minded enough. Even you can tell your best friends everything else, but because kink BDSM is so stigmatized, you got to be really careful who you open up to about this. Um, I'm not open to I'm not open to my parents about it. They've never known that I'm um, a dominatrix because. I wouldn't, in my opinion, I don't want to hurt them. It would hurt them to know to this because they can't possibly understand all of what, like this conversation would just over their head, you know, and they're going to close their ears after the first minute, you know, it would hurt them to, to, to know this. So I, so I protect them. I see it as protecting your loved ones by not telling them. Um, that's how I see it. So I, that's the ethical part. Um, and the, um, I want to pause you right there. Actually. I, so like there are some other pieces there, but I actually really want to touch on this because it brings up a couple of things. One is I'm not gonna lie. I'm definitely one of those people who's like, Oh, it feels like it would be really out of integrity for me to not tell my partner about these desires. So like for me, this is just how I choose to operate. This is how I choose to do my life. I couldn't imagine being in a relationship with somebody where I could not talk about this. In fact, I have ended relationships because I couldn't talk about it. So for me, I I couldn't even see it as being a like a negotiable that it would be okay to go behind my, so hypothetically, if I was coming to you, I couldn't possibly make it okay to go behind my partner's back and, and say like, you know, this is something I want to indulge in because my partner's going to not meet me there. It's like, I either need to end that container or I need to tell that person because it just doesn't work for me. And it seems like an integrity thing for me, but you have a different perspective and really open to that is it sounds like you have people whom are your clients, whom have partners who are not connected to their desires. So they're kind of, I mean, I don't want to say it, than like going behind their back and, and trying to, and I get it because you want to express it, but like, how do you, how do you marry those? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I, most of my clients are in a different generation, right? They are mostly in their 50s and 60s. I, that's the, the the clientele that I see. Most of my clients are in that, those age and brackets. And so they're, they grew up in a, in a generation different from your generation where they, um, they, they just did what they were told. They got married, had kids, you know, they did the whole thing. And, uh, and then they, and then they might've had the, the kinky desires all along, but they didn't think it was something that they could or should explore. So they right. have different types of partners. For you, I think it's amazing, wonderful, and admirable that you want to be open with your partners about it and that you're not willing to be with anyone. I'm I'm not either. I'm not willing to be with any partner who isn't going to accept my full-on kinkiness. It's who right. I am. I mean, it's who I am. 
So, um, so I, I I admire you for that. I think it's an easy way to live because you you don't you're not keeping it's it's hard to keep secrets. It's a it's a burden. It's an it's a it's weight. Doesn't feel good. So, mm-hmm, doesn't feel good. But I but I don't judge anyone who has to do it, who has to hide that. Um, they are in a different they're their own situation. You know. Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's definitely not my my choice to decide for people. My, so this is just the way I was raised. That would be how in my mental schema that would be cheating that would be some form of even though it's done in a professional context like that would be a form of infidelity which just goes outside of my perimeter and i am also somebody who is just highly like not it's who the fuck am i to judge somebody else for what they're doing when i don't know what it's like inside of their head i don't know what it's like inside of their body and i didn't really touch on this earlier but i don't expect people to understand where i come from my submissive desires i don't understand where they come from i was you know, I'm just kind of going out of left field, but like I was sexually abused as a child. I don't know what that, how that plays out into my schema now. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but no one has to live with the thoughts in my head and, and the sensations and felt experience in my body. So for that reason, when I get really like, I just don't give a fuck what you think, it's you haven't lived my experience. And I, with that same thought process, won't look at that other person and say, well, you're wrong or you're bad. But for my mental schema, it's like, wow, like that would fall inside of the context of infidelity and it would go against my personal values so that means either i'm going to create an alignment with my partner or as i said i would i would go in a different direction my curiosity and what i just shared is your your lifestyle fascinates me because you are an a dominant woman who has two kids so maybe i'm getting too personal you can tell me where where to like drop the drop the line but like how does that work for you i'm a very very much a mistress so in my life here in my dungeon I, I pretty much spent like half of my life here at this home which is my dungeon the chi temple <laughs> and then the other half at home with my kids and in my vanilla life as mom you know i'm very much a dominatrix i need this in my life so i have lifestyle slaves too who are they're like family you know they're like family, like, but we we I I I'm a very high protocol mistress, and so when I'm in here and they're here with me, they bow to me with with their collars in their hands. You know, right when they greet me, they call me mistress. They can't do anything without my permission. They can't even they can't eat, they can't drink, they can't go to the bathroom. Everything is under my control. It's very much this real life, you know, mistress and slave lifestyle here. And I spend um, many hours with my subs here, either that my my personal subs or my clients. Um, and so I get, I'm very lucky to have, like I said earlier, to have this part of my life fulfilled. I don't know what I would do without being a mistress. I don't know what I would do. I'd be like half dead, <laughs> dead inside. I just don't know. This is the a huge part. Um, right. So it sounds like. This isn't something that you do as much. I mean, it is something you do, but it's it's more a function of your being. Like it is something for you that is very truly resonant at a deep level, such that when you're doing it in and of itself, it is nourishing. It does fill and and sa- I would imagine like satiate that desire on a sexual level because you truly are dropping into something that uh, which I want to take into a conversation is this um, distinction of something called a dumb space and a subspace. I imagine you're dropping into that dom space. You're dropping into that lived experience. And what I'm, 
I'm very curious about is what is DOM space, what is subspace, and why is that important? <laughs> yeah, it's so juicy. Um, so DOM space is um, when I tap into my sadistic self, so my sadist, the sadist part of me. And when I was speaking about the archetypes earlier, the sadist lives inside of a seductress. So it's the erotic part of the dominatrix. It's, it's, my, it's my sexuality, you know? And so I get turned on when I dominate. Um, I mean, even, even when I see, even when as simple as my sub getting down on his knees and looking up at me adoringly, I just, oof, I get this like burst of, Dom space energy, you know, I just get this like, ooh, I feel so dominant right now, just because of that energy coming towards the sub. I'm just, I'm receiving it. I'm taking it in. Um, it's just beautiful. So, it's it feels like there's neurochemicals being fired off. Um, you know, there's maybe there's a, maybe there's a bit of adrenaline. Maybe there's definitely dopamine. You know. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's feel good, there's feel good, um, chemicals being fired, being produced on both sides. Um, when I'm doing a scene, like a corporal scene, I get very much in the zone and, um, I'm doing like a physical, maybe a physical flogging or something like that. Those hormones get like, they just, they really fire off and I feel physically high. Like i you know, I feel that the, the, if I was on drugs or something, because you are, you are, you're on like natural right. drugs in your, in your brain. Right. Um, I don't take drugs and I don't drink or anything like that. I, I, I prefer the natural high of being in dom space. And for the sub, same thing, same thing. When you feel submissive, you go into your subspace, which you suddenly feel like, you, I, 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 my, my subs call it dropping into subspace. Where you just, yeah. you suddenly in a different um, state of mind. You're in a more focused state of mind. It's an alpha brain state for both the sub and the dom. You're in a more, you're focused. You're in the moment. You're, you're together. You know, you're right. very much connected. So, um, but subspace isn't always possible when it all depends on the dom. It, it depends on if the dom can put the sub into subspace. It's 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 all if up to her, like if she can do it. I can put a sub into subspace in the first minute of our scene, you know. I can put like I've done I've done lectures where there's like whole audience and I'll pull someone out of the audience and I'll ask them a little bit about their interests and then I'll put them into subspace. A stranger that I've met, you know, I can and I can put them into subspace within a minute as well, because I'm skilled in that, um, in, in, in doing that. Very so, good. um, your, your question was, what is it? So I think I answered it, right? Did I answer? What yeah, is that space? What is Dom space? Correct. And so something I want to highlight about, the, oh, go ahead. I want, I want to clarify that it's not always possible for a sub to go into subspace, um, because if the dom is playing on a light level, like if she's like up here and she's having fun and she's like, she's not really ordering you around. And if she's being too casual with you, like 
it's not going to work. It's not going to put you into subspace. Like if I said, hey, Wolf, come over here and like submit to me, you know, it wouldn't work. But if I said, slave, I want you to get down on your knees in front of me now. Now, you know, or something like Dami, it's right. going to start working on you. Right. You know, it's like we it's it takes takes it takes the dominance energy to get the, the submissive um to takes the doms the dom to take it to to bring it out of you and then it and then when I see the submissive energy come out of my sub and it makes me get into some dom space. Interesting. It's this reciprocal feedback of information. Because even in your example yeah, this is like you provide instruction, which provides some experience for sub, sub responds, and then you're getting that feedback, which drops you deeper into your subs, into your dom space, with them dropping deeper into their subspace, which That's right. you... That's why it's called an energy exchange. Right, right. That makes sense. It's, it's, it's give, it's receive, it's give, it's receive, it's push, it's pull, even in the way that you expressed the... Like, oh, slave, come over here versus the slave, get on your knees. I I was listening very intently. And when you said the first version, which was lighter, I was just like hearing it. When you said the second version, I felt a wave of energy from my skull go towards my feet, like literally go down. I was like, oh, I feel the difference. I feel the difference. And even in the way that you're saying it, I, I registered it physiologically as you were saying it. That was that received energy and like literally feeling it go towards the ground. It is different. Interesting. I like that. Yeah, that's why domination online works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's an it's energy, like you said. You know, you can feel energy through the screen. Right. So I get into dom space by just watching my students dominate on the screen. I'm watching a scene, and I'm just like, oof! I'm just like getting high, just watching. Mm -hmm. Well, it's something I, I want to go into a little bit more is this thing that we're referring to as a high. So you were pretty much you, without saying it, you're a you're a sober mistress. You are providing ultra states of consciousness without any altering that is being done by an outside substance. I personally have had a couple of experiences in my life where I have been in a subspace, where I have been in a scene, where I've dropped into that completely sobered. I've also had experiences with psychedelics. In fact, psychedelics are one of the reasons and the means that I was able to process a lot of trauma, which is still to this day, I use psychedelics with intention. And what I will say, even from just that little bit of what you shared from your experience being shared through your experience and through mine of incorporating that with psychedelics, I would say that there is a similar thing that is happening neurobiologically, because as you pointed out, there are neurotransmitters, neuromodulators that are being released dopamine, endorphins, norepinephrine, serotonin, all of these are putting us into what is referred to as a flow state, which induces that transient hyperfrontality where the prefrontal cortex part of the brain that is associating with the world around us and our chores and our dishes and the other things that we need to do as a part of our executive functioning, those, like a volume knob adjusting a music in a car, begins to turn down. We start to have the lived experience of being more than our almost physical body. I imagine there's almost like this this dissolving of our individual egos and becomes this 
this wave of energy that is now flowing back and forth in this altered state. Yes. Oh, very eloquently said, Wolf. Thank you for that. I fully agree with you about the dissolving of egos. It it does that. It does that. That's, and I've seen. Um, so I have students who are in FLR relationships, female-led relationships, with their like it, it's the the wo the woman you know the wife is the dominant of the husband and um, and I've heard husbands who are the slave of the of their mistress wife tell me that they have their ego has been dissolving. Uh, more and more and more as they go deeper into this FLR with their wife, just just fewer conflicts, just more in serve, you know, more wanting to, desiring to be in service, more purely um, to their wife, and and just letting go of that ego that didn't serve him or either of them. You know, it's just it's very beneficial. I see it as a very evolved relationship. Hmm. Yeah, those are the those are the lucky ones. Well, I love that it it points a finger at the the possibility that we can cultivate the type of relationship that we're looking for. Whether I am a male who wants a dominant female, or I am a female who wants a dominant man or a dominant female, whatever the thing that we want to call forth, we have that opportunity. But it takes having one a level of awareness and two being willing to be a stand for that and being willing to say no to the things that aren't that. And that's something I'm learning is being able to not settle because what I think I'm noticing happens is when we, we settle on certain things that are really important, we start to look for subconscious or unconscious ways to fulfill that desire because we it doesn't just go away. As you said, you have people who are 40s, 50s, 60s who were like, I've had these desires all along and just been trying to act like they don't exist or trying to push them down. But shit usually comes up eventually. Shit stinks, whether you don't want it to or not. Shit stinks. And eventually you got to like let it fly, let it flow and let it go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What I alluded to earlier um, is that kinky desires never go away. Like mm -hmm. once you have a kink, you're stuck with it for life. Truly. Uh Truly, I have never, it's just, that's why it's a kink. That's why kink sexuality is a, is a sexual orientation. It, you can't push it away. Like, just like, you know, people used to think that they can push away their homosexuality or something. It's not possible. It's, so embrace who you are and love that part of you and, and uh, find ways to express it. And, and, and people who want to ex explore with you and celebrate it with you, it's really the best thing to do, the most loving thing to do. Uh -huh. Yeah, and by the way, I love your analogy to the psychedelics. Um, I, I I've thought about that before. That the the um, the 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 similarities. I think they they are in alignment for sure. There's a lot of similar similarities. I psychedelic therapies and um, like when done consciously, are very right, very important, useful. Yeah, very healing. Yeah. I've I've personally found psychedelics. Uh, I've obviously explored my relationships both with and without psychedelics, and I have found that sometimes it, and not as a never never to use it as a crutch, but when done with intention, it can sometimes dissolve the spoken or unspoken barriers that 
are hindering that deeper connection because fundamentally we just want to connect more deeply we want to connect deeply and feel safe enough to explore and be honest about what we want to explore because you get glimpses of truth you know through those experiences and i think that when you when one is in their submissive space same you're getting glimpses of truth like this is it's it's funny to say that because it's a role play but when I'm in the role play, it's real. It's, 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 there's, it is truth. It's a, it's a true part of who you are. It's a side of you that's wanting to be expressed. Hmm. You know? Something that I love about what you, or something I love about what you share is, the importance of acknowledging so the people who are exploring and there's like that side but then there's like the work that you're doing as a dominatrix uh the the kind of tagline which i'm i am paraphrasing is the the light workers who work in the dark what who play in the dark yeah who play in the dark Okay, so talk to me about that. What does that mean? Why is it important? Oh, okay. So, so it, my podcast is called Light Workers Who Play in the Dark, and I coined that phrase because um, I believe that conscious dominatrix, conscious dominatrices, like me, are light workers. We're healers. We're healers for um, our subs. You're healing ourselves. Um, and I, it's play in the dark because this is how we play in BDSM scenes. We're playing, right? We're kind, we're like we're we're playing. We're getting to our into our imagination, like we used to when we were kids, doing make believe. You know, so we haven't really gone into that realm of make believe and really. You know, do you remember being a kid? And and pretending something, you know, you're a superhero or whatever, or you're or you had little characters that you were pretending that they were in this little you're in this bubble of um your your creative imagination. Everything was real, right? You could feel how real it was and you're just kind of immersed in this in this very real reality you've created. So it's very mm-hmm. much like that when you're in a BDSM scene. Um but you're playing adult ways, you know, you're playing with everything. Um so we 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 always say that when we say when we you know do you want to play today or or when I was playing with myself we use that terminology play hmm. and then playing in the dark is playing in all those those um, the stigmatized areas or there's those those dark places that um, maybe we were scared to go. Or, or we were um, we were told we're bad or something like that. All those places that are the dark, and you know, I do pretty dark shit in my in my work. It's, I mean, I can't really get into it in this conversation, but dark. You know, there's lots of stuff. <laughs> there's things you can't even imagine that I do. Um, but we are having so much fun. I feel so teased. 
sure you do. <laughs> but we're doing a kind of beginner level, you know, conversation here, so we can't go there right. today. But um, yeah, playing in the dark is so much fun. Right, because we don't, we can't do that out out there, outside outside the dungeon. It's it's not allowed. Um, mm. Okay, I'll give you I'll give you a little story. You know, I'll give you a little little. Um, I last <laughs> yesterday I was playing with my sub, and I had a very sharp knife, scraping his cock and balls, just poking mm. and scraping and just. It's called edge play. It's knife play. It's 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 very scary. I had his legs bound, so they were forced apart, spread, you know. Um, and he was gagged and um, and and making lots of some scared noises and probably saying, "Please, Mister, stop!" or something like that underneath his gag. I don't know, but it doesn't mm -hmm. matter because I'm not going to stop. I'm going to go on right. because it's uh, <clears throat> it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> we're playing and and it's fun. For for playing, yeah. I mean, he he, he was. Um, I could have. I could have. I could have hurt him. I didn't hurt him in that way. I hurt him in other ways. Um, but it was. A, it's a very. It's a tea. It's a. It's scary. I mean, to have, to have a sharp knife, pressed against your genitals and gliding, it's pretty scary. But pretty scary. Gave me a high. Gave him a high. And um, and we were happy after that. <laughs> I mean, we did other things. It was a three-hour session and did lots of other things. But it's just a smidget. Right. And this is... I guess it's dark. You, you know? Not something that you normally do. Knives and genitals right. don't really go together in the vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this conversation, you were expecting a vanilla thing to come out. You came to the wrong place. This is not what that is about. But I, I do love that... This, this is what I love about this is that someone is potentially listening to me like, holy shit. And it's like, well, here's the cool thing is that, as we said before, this is a spectrum. For that person, as you said before, there was an agreement. There was permission. There was a conversation that was had where the rules of the game were set. So every single person in that space is coming in willingly. I said I wanted this to experience to occur. It has to happen. Sensual is the thing. Of course. Yeah. And and That's I want to highlight that. Have that. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight that that part was so important is because if somebody listens to what you're saying right now and takes it out of context and is like, oh my goodness, it's like it could create something. But the most important thing to highlight here, and I apologize to cut you off, is to really get that this all was done with an understanding that this is what we are doing. So everything that comes from the play and the scene, it's like, hey, we're, this is what we're here for, and an understanding has been made. Yes, that's right. I want to bring up, um, thank you for making this point. I want to bring up that the, the motto of BDSM, the longtime motto of BDSM is safe, sane, and consensual. Hmm. I've updated it. I have my own version that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get out there in the world where I've added the word ethical to it. So safe, sane, consensual, and ethical because ethics has become a huge part of, uh, it's, it's a huge, it's an, an important topic in this era of BDSM with fin doms taking advantage of subs all over the place now. You know, it's a thing now, or it wasn't a thing when I first started. So so it's safe, sane, consensual, and ethical. And that's, it's it, if it's not those things, if, it's, if it doesn't have all of those things, it's not 
BDSM. So I want to make that clarification as well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And um, this particular stuff that I was playing with in, in my example, um, we've been together for nine years and he's my slave. Um, and we have a relationship that is, um, so we call it consensual non-consent play style of play where he's consented to everything that he hasn't consented to. <laughs> Does that make sense? So for example, yes. we've played long enough so that I am his trusted mistress that he trusts to do all the things, even things that he hasn't tried yet, done yet, whatever, because he's my slave now and he's got He's given me blanket consent, basically, for all of the things. So he did not ask for knife play. It's not one of the things that he's like came to me in, in the very beginning and said, hey, this is one of the things I want to explore. No. It was something that I brought to it later on in our relationship because this is we are in an advanced style BDSM relationship where that can happen. You don't do right. this with someone who's first time client, second time, you know, you just, that doesn't you don't do consensual non-consent, you know, in the, in those, with those types of relationships. It has to be someone that you've developed a, a real relationship with. And we have, we have a real relationship beyond just the client yeah. mistress thing. Something I appreciate the way you are operating your space is that you can tell, I can tell that your subs, your slaves, your submissives, that they are an important part of your life. You look at them as humans as they are. It's not just this transactional, you come, I give you money, bye. No, no, no. I mean, you know, like after our, we, the sub that I'm talking about, after our scene, we went out to dinner, you know? We, we, we went out to dinner and celebrated the new year. We, we planned to to do this as a part of, he's a part of my life. He's a very important part of my life. Um, not to get too much into it, but this is, this is something happened at dinner um, where he was choking on his food and he was coughing uncontrollably and, um, and it was happening for a really long time. And I was like, do you need me to take you to the ER? Like I, I'm, I'm worried. There's something, you know, <clears throat> I, Fortunately, it didn't have to, but that's something I would totally do too. I mean, play with my slave. We out, go out to dinner. I'll, I'll drive him to the ER if, he, if he's hurt. You know, if he's something. It, it's a. It's it, we are people. We are people that care about each other. Right. As people. Right. You know, he's not just my. Um. It's not just like giving me the tribute and me taking it going say okay bye thank you we've developed a real, a real relationship so so right. i really really feel um blessed to have all of these long-term relationships with all my subs it's they're, they're truly a huge part of my life and and why i feel so fulfilled and lucky i always mm. call myself the luckiest mistress in the world because i i'm surrounded by so many special subs and and yeah. doms dom daughters yeah. I re so I really appreciate that you are taking the time to educate people, myself included, on 
the totality of going back to the beginning bdsm femdom being a dominatrix not only your lifestyle and destigmatizing it but also speaking from a clinical standpoint that all of these misnomers and pathologies and the shame and the guilt and the ways that we can so easily look at ourselves and make ourselves wrong or feel bad that it's like actually this is very normal nature nurture like certainly there could be parts that you know got nurtured along the process but a lot of it's nature and it's in the fabric of our being and when we can bring more compassion more love more understanding and create honest dialogues about this there's healing there right the light worker who's playing in the dark i'm going into the darkness i'm bringing the light of play and creating transformation and alchemizing the pain the hurt and everything that has been accumulated and re-emerging as more empowered, more loving versions of ourselves. Beautifully said, Wolf. You're a poet. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, I, I so appreciate this conversation as well. It's very nurturing to me um, to talk about the, my most loved topic and um, have it be received in 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 a way that um is so welcome and um i hope that many people were um encouraged by this conversation i hope it touched something in them and and and, and they're ex encouraged to explore hmm. it's a beautiful thing yes please explore if you're listening please explore please Find the space, find the people where you feel safe to lean in, even if it's very, very, very small. The first time that I ever admitted that I had a foot fetish, I told one of my dearest friends, I was afraid to tell anybody else. And I told him, and that became the journey. I was afraid. I was super fucking terrified. But I, I started opening up, and now it's to the point where I feel comfortable enough to do a podcast talking about these things that have brought a lot of fear, a lot of concern. And my my lasting message is that there is hope for the person, the people, for us who are afraid. And it starts by just little small baby steps, having honest conversations. If something was triggered in this, ask why. What is this that it triggers within me? And allow it to be you know, showered with light that brings forth more truth, more love. And um, you know, thank you, Mistress Damiana, for allowing this conversation to occur. I hope it's one of many because I love, love, love talking about sex, sexuality, and something that I will be leaning into more and more as the days go on. Mm. Wow, thank you, Wolf. Um, I I, I want to acknowledge your your courage to to share and um to wow, what a journey it's it's been for you, and I applaud you for it. I applaud you for opening up, and this is this is a huge step for you. And I, it just makes me like my heart is so open because you just said what you said, and it, it. I hope it encourages others to open up. I think that you, it sounds like you made a really good choice in sharing with your best friend, who I assume received it in a very accepting way. Mm -hmm. One thing I wanted say here just as a little warning like make sure all all y'all out there if you want to share this make sure to be very choosy be very particular with the people who you share with and make sure that they are um people who are going to 
receive what you share with yes um with love with love and acceptance because that's huge you know like if there's any if there's any chance of it being like shamed or ridiculed or just be like oh wow okay you know anything like that that's that could do things that can do some bad things you know so just be really careful yeah just be really careful but wolf um thank you so much too for this conversation um you represent so many people that i want to reach out there in the world like your your archetype of a young um, person who's seeking to explore kink and bdsm you don't have a lot of you you can you can run into some bad, bad avenues you know so yeah uh let's pave way for the right places to go speak to the right people touch and connect with with uh with the ones who are doing this work with intention in, in conscious with conscious intention and with love BDSM is about love, not not um, self-serving things. So, yeah, any anybody that you you t you connect with, make sure they receive it with it. They're doing this out of love. Mm -hmm. If you if you feel any self-servingness coming out from from their end, Vindam or whatnot, walk away, run away. <laughs> it's not real BDSM. Mm -hmm. BDSM is about love. That that just has stopped me. That's it. If it doesn't feel like that, time to go. But huh? <laughs> what is one thing? We're starting to wrap this conversation. What is one thing that somebody who is either beginning or early on in their journey, if you were to give them one thing to start making baby steps in the direction of welcoming the possibility of bringing in maybe it's more kink more bdsm or maybe it's just having conversations what would be the the one thing that someone could do to start bringing this into their life the baby baby steps uh read, read some good books out there you know mm. like there's a lot of really good classic bdsm books out there look for those there's one that i really loved back in the day when i was um first exploring this no i think i was this was part when i wrote my dissertation so i wrote my dissertation my 350 350 page doctoral dissertation um studying bdsm that the, the, the it was called the erotically submissive man so one of my favorite books during that time when I was studying was called um, Different Loving. Gloria Brame, I think, is the author. That was mm. one of my favorites. Um, but, uh, you know, I have a list. I have a list. I could share it with you later. Uh, Beautiful. That I recommend to students. Yeah. But start reading. And, and that book in particular has really good stories. So it's a good title, right? Different Loving. We talk about BDSM being love. There it is. It's it's a it's a different way of loving, um, and so there's stories in there of couples or people playing with each other and in different ways, you know. And so it's just kind of give glimpses of how how it might look, how di how different 
kink relationships can look. Beautiful. As always, it always starts with educating ourselves, just learning a little bit more. Yeah. And if, like yours and mine. <laughs> yes. And if, yeah. if you're, Educate as I, that's right. And the great thing is if you, if you, I highly encourage you, if this is something that sparks anything for you, please do get connected to Mrs. Damiana. Her links will be in the show notes for everything from her academy to her podcast and all the other incredible things that she's doing, her community, right? She has the community. If you're looking for a community, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to do that. And if it's part something for you and you're just like, I resonated, shoot me a direct message. I would love to connect with you on it. I love talking about sex and sexuality and I am one for creating those safe spaces. So uh, Mrs. Damiana, thank you so much for taking this time with me everyone who's listening thank you and just grateful really grateful that we could share this time thank you so much wolf i feel like we've you know i feel like we're friends now like i i feel like anytime we mm -hmm. I, I have an in-depth conversation with anybody about kink or sex <laughs> that we just feel closer because we talk very very honestly and um about something very intimate you know so yeah it's really cool Thank you for, as the what was the Toy Story. You got a friend in me. Thank you for 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 being my friend and for being a friend that I know that I can go to and be safe. And that to me is in fucking valuable is to have that safe space. So thank you for being that for myself and for so many people that you're serving. I'm I'm honored to be called your friend who you feel safe with. Thank you. Sure. Those of you who are listening, thank you for listening. You got a friend in me. I got a friend in you. Love you so much. And uh, let's get weird. Let's go play. Let's go play in the dark. Let's do all the things. Love you. Peace. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode supported and inspired your journey to greater healing and feeling fully alive. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this with someone you love and in case you forgot you are dope you are loved and you are enough thank you for existing peace